Congratulations are in order. Well done, Sooner Nation. I had hoped that 60,000 would show up to Saturday's spring game, which would have been a new spring game record at Oklahoma. Turns out I completely underestimated Oklahoma's fan base. And for that, I apologize. 75,360 people came to OU spring game this past weekend, shattering the previous record of around 52,000 set back in 2018. Oklahoma spring game got more fans than Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Texas A&M, Florida, Nebraska, and obviously USC. The OU football program is promoting on social media that the Sooner spring game featured the largest attendance of any spring game in the country. But let's remember, it is April. No games were won on Saturday, so does this really matter? Yes, it does. It matters because of the story Thad Turnipseed told Gabe and Teddy a month or so ago about Turnipseed's first Alabama spring game when he started in Tuscaloosa. Turnipseed said that when he saw the fans pack that stadium, he knew they could build something special. Well, Oklahoma fans just sent a massive message to Thad Turnipseed that this Oklahoma fan base is ready to build something special in Norman. It matters because of recruiting. Brent Venables told us a couple of weeks ago that he wanted to be able to pitch to recruits this past Saturday. Hey, you guys see this place in April? Imagine what it'll look like in the fall. And it matters because everybody got involved. I've got to give credit to Josh Pate, who works for 247 Sports and CBS Sports HQ. He praised Oklahoma's fan base for showing up on Saturday, and I liked what he said about why everything mattered. Pate said that the spring game is one of few events that, as a fan, you can affect a football program. You can help impact the event in a positive way. And he's 100% correct about that. Just think, OU and Alabama and Georgia and Texas A&M and the rest of the SEC heavy hitters, along with the Big Ten heavy hitters and every other blue blood in college football, are all going to sell out games this fall. Everybody can say, hey, people, we care here, and people are going to show up. But only one school this recruiting cycle can say that their program and their fan base cares so much about football and believes so much about their program that 75,000-plus people will show up to a glorified practice in April. And Oklahoma can say that. Oklahoma's the only one because of you, because of the fans. And that's pretty powerful. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. Welcome back into the show. Tons to talk about today after a successful weekend in Norman. If you're new to the podcast, we like to ask listeners sometimes to rate and or review the show on iTunes. Also, please feel free to leave a rating on Spotify since I've recently made the switch to Spotify uh, to listen to podcasts. Used to listen on iTunes a lot more. Uh, Now trying out Spotify. So far, so good. Coming up on the show, I totally didn't see this coming in Saturday's spring game. I'll explain. Two defensive players really stood out to me, and they probably stood out to you as well. My thoughts on one offensive player have changed in the last 24 hours or so, and I have no idea what Grant's going to say about anything. It's called the professional tease. Uh, With that, let's welcome in the aforementioned Grant Benson. What's going on? Nothing much. Still recovering from a, a busy Saturday where there was a lot of people on campus. Can confirm that for sure. So my biggest takeaway was that, was the amount of people in attendance. I know that's the big story for most people. I talked about it in the opening take. I ask you, 
Uh, is your biggest takeaway the same thing or something else? I guess, yeah. I mean, if you really want to dig into it, like what can we, going forward, what can we take away from the game? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was all, um, the most important things that happened on Saturday were were not actually plays on the field. Uh, you know, I mean, I have some thoughts about that stuff. But yeah, this was more of a of a big symbolic gesture for the most part. Um, and so yeah, obviously the the, sh- the fans showing out is really encouraging. Having the biggest spring game attendance, just like kind of you know we hoped on this podcast, uh, that was encouraging. But the biggest takeaway for me is that it felt, especially you know at halftime of that thing when when the when the stadium actually got pretty like pretty much fully full, it felt like at times. Um, the biggest takeaway for me is Baker Mayfield. If that the thing at halftime felt like a special moment, um, that just sort of, I don't know. That's all I could think about afterwards was that I was happy that I I drove down there and I went through kind of the whole you know getting in process of everything just so I could see Baker. I mean that was that was a pretty special moment for me. All right, let's start with that then because that's probably similar thoughts or the same thoughts as a lot of people that were at the game. Uh, I you know I. I was fortunate enough to you know, get to News 9 in Oklahoma City uh, the latter half of the 2016 season. So I saw a couple of, uh, I, I think I saw the you know, OU's last home game. I think it was their last home game of the year against Baylor. Uh, they might have played another. No, actually, I take that back because they played Oklahoma State later and I didn't go to that one. But uh, I, I saw them. You know, my fir- the first game I saw you know, Baker in person was Baylor 2016, kind of end of the year. And, uh, you know, it, it was cool. You know, he, he hooked up with D.D. Westbrook once or twice. It was that season. And so, fortunately, you know, I, I got to watch him then for, kind of for the first time because, as I've talked about multiple times on this podcast, I wasn't paying attention that close to Oklahoma in 2015 and most of 2016 because I was in College Station covering Texas A&M. And then 2017, obviously, was, was a magical year. It was really cool. Got to go to a lot of games. Got to see Baker play in person, field level a lot and you know in, in hindsight it's it's even cooler now that I got to do that um, and unfortunately for you you never had a chance to see him play at that stadium you did get to see him though at the Rose Bowl in a game that I didn't get to go to so you know I got to, to you know do some cool things at in Owen Field you got to go to the big one that ended up being a, you know a really crushing <laughs> game in the end but a cool moment uh, a, a cool moment you know either way so being there and seeing that like I definitely feel like, let's say, if there's somebody who doesn't know much about Oklahoma football and your job was to you know, cover Oklahoma football and, and that was one of your first things, it, it probably it would have been a cool day for you, but it wouldn't have felt as big as it really was. And you and I, we went to Oklahoma. You know, we've, we've been following Oklahoma for most of our lives. People that listen to this, this podcast you know, are the same exact way. It did feel really good really cool and special to be at at the spring game for that moment for uh, Baker Mayfield's Heisman statue dedication to see him on the field and in, in a time in his life where he he really needed it you could tell I mean he talked about it a little bit after the game I mean he he's going through some stuff we talked about it a little bit on the podcast last week it was just uh I think I think Toby Rowland or, or Dusty Dvorak on the spring game broadcast might have said this maybe it was Toby he said uh his interpretation of Baker and, and the way Baker acted and, and interacting with him and seeing him all throughout the weekend, it was like a giant, a giant Norman, Oklahoma hug that he needed. And uh, I think that's a good way to put it. And so being on the field there, 
taking it all in, I, I will say that as I was filming it through my camera lens, his speech at halftime and him kind of watching the video and seeing the Heisman statue revealed and seeing his wife there as well looking on, he was obviously in, in his family. I, I don't know Maker Mayfield. I, you know, I, I, it, it's a job. You know, I, I, luckily, I get to cover him. But you know, I'm just kind of a, a supporter of the football team that got to cover it. But I <laughs> uh, I really enjoy watching him play football, and and he's one of the he's like the only athlete, especially as I become an adult, that I've really gotten into and that I really enjoy. And I kind of and I'm, I'm into the you know the singular athlete. I'm, I'm a big team guy. I don't really get into individual sports. I, I'm not a big golf guy. Uh, I I appreciate golf. I understand how difficult it is, but it's difficult for me to really get into singular athletes. But Baker Mayfield changed it for me. And so being down there, I, I, I kind of thought this is really neat. And I got a, you know, a little personally emotional. And I kind of snapped out of it when I realized, get, get, get a grip. You don't know this guy. Okay, take a step back. It's still, it's important. It's important. Don't lose it, though. <laughs> it was really cool. And I know you, though, you, you got a little emotional as well in the stands. And I know you were happy to be there as well. Oh yeah, I got I got a little misty. Absolutely, um, it was the. Uh, I actually I really liked the video. Uh, that was that was kind of my thing. That sort of got me. When, whenever you see, like, <laughs> you ever see videos basically that is just a compilation of really good memories, and then you start to you start to also like put it over like pictures of his childhood and stuff. And then like that stuff always kind of gets to me. Like I'm always into that. And they also paid like they show, I loved the part where as part of this dedication video, they had the part of his Heisman trophy speech where he named all of his offensive linemen. I like, I loved that. So just stuff like that. And then the part that really got me, the part where I actually, I did get misty was the very end of that video when it started the countdown at number six and went six, five, four, and then it um, it showed a, a, a bunch of stuff in the background of his OU career. Um, and then it got to the end. It said like two, one, and then in the background it said there's only one Oklahoma, and then that sort of faded away to Baker Mayfield to say there's only one Baker Mayfield. And that, I mean, that's that absolutely killed me. That is That is a great visual... Uh, just a visual trick of that. I, I loved it, and of course, the next the next shot was his uh, was was a statue outside the stadium uh, with a bunch of people around it, and that was just uh, it's good to see. It's really good to see, and I, I you know I'm I'm pretty fond on this podcast of um you know of of comparing college football, especially people you know who get obsessed with college football to to religion, people getting religious about stuff, and it was it, it was it was hard for me not to be in that stadium on Saturday and think, and this is not just with Baker Mayfield and everything. This is also with all of the other bits that the planned bits that they had with, you know, with, with Brent Venables talking to the crowd and the former players before the game, stuff like that, which was very effective. Um, it, it, it felt like a whole big giant OU football church service at times. And I was, I'm absolutely 100% here for it all day, every day. It does not matter. I'm here for it. You know, that's, that's a good way to put it. And now as I think a little bit more about it, and I beat myself up sometimes for, for taking things maybe too seriously when it comes to sports, but we've talked about it now the last two years. The pandemic let, you know, made us realize how important sports are. And so I have to kind of keep reminding myself, like, listen, no, you, you used to kind of be somebody that used to think, ah, you know, sports aren't as, as, as important as a lot of people say they are. No, they are. Because when they weren't around, it wasn't good. It was, it was really bad i mean sports bring a lot of people together and you know, 
I I kind of needed some, you know, some help being reminded of that. And so whenever I was kind of feeling a little misty is a good way to put it, a little misty about Baker Mayfield, maybe I shouldn't beat myself up too much about it because think about just storytelling in general. I mean, you watch a movie and if you get invested into a movie, you don't know the characters and stuff, then that can kind of draw your emotions out. So now I, I'm, I'm kind of trying to make excuses for myself a little bit because, you know, we're, we're invested in it. We're invested in Baker Mayfield's story, the Oklahoma football program, and everything they did on Saturday, the way they put the production together, like you kind of hinted at, was fantastic. And that was the main event. But everything else around there, too, I, I, I think, you, as, as you so astutely pointed out, if you're going to compare it to religion <laughs> – it, it was like a gigantic Oklahoma church service. And uh, given, uh, nah, nah, nah. I'll, I'll save that maybe for another day. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's appropriate to say. Uh, so yeah, with, with the Baker, it's cool to see all that go down. Um, he did talk about for the first time his thoughts on Lincoln Riley after the game. He said kind of what, what you'd expect. Uh, he, Lincoln Riley is a guy that means a lot to him. And he, he, said again very similar to what he's mentioned on that podcast a week or two ago we i think we briefly touched on it last week that he thinks it's going to be a good thing for both schools for both ou and usc so there wasn't a whole lot of news out of that it, he didn't you know he didn't come out and blast lincoln riley and say and, which we kind of expected he wouldn't do that but now mayfield's on the record as far as riley goes i'm trying to think of anything else newsworthy with baker before we get to maybe the the other players Any, anything else baker wise that's yeah you want to talk about something a little light um the his his statue absolutely does look like the T-1000 from Terminator 2 at 100%. I mean, it is, it's the best statue of that, of that guy ever made. He just happens to be in a Sooner uniform. Wait, wait what? Wait, is that a joke? What, I don't get it. What do you mean? Well, I'm just saying, like, Baker's statue does look like the villain from Terminator 2. And oh, that is, okay. so, if, there, <laughs> if there have not been any statues made of, made of that character... The Baker Mayfield uh, Heisman Trophy statue is the best statue of the Terminator or of, of, of the villain from Terminator 2. Right, right. Okay. So, yeah, uh, T2 fans should probably come to Norman, Oklahoma if they want to get the true. Is, is that what he is? That he's a T1000? T1000, I believe, is, is, what his, uh, is what the villain is called <laughs> in, in Terminator 2. Gr- great movie, by the way. But I, I, I digress. <laughs> um, but also at the Go same ahead, time. Yeah. I, I, I did see it when I was walking out of the stadium. I saw it a lot of, you know, I saw it pretty up close. It does not look as bad as the pictures on Twitter from the reveal um, event that Friday night look. It doesn't look as bad in person. Still looks like the dude from T2, though. <laughs> yeah, I know you're supposed to have strong thoughts on everything. I honestly don't have really strong thoughts on the statue. I think the statue looks, it looks fine. Like, and that's kind of, Okay. I, I think it, okay. I think it looks fine too. I just think it's hysterical that it that it looks like that guy. But like this is not the, uh, Sam and and Sam Bradford and Jason White's statues don't look good either from a from like a a likeness perspective. So, I mean, whatever. Yeah, we always talk about these statues. Every time a statue comes out, you know, you, you first it, it's new, but then you kind of just. You kind of forget about what it looks like. Because I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've been around Heisman Park a lot the last five, six years. I can't remember the last time I walked up close to any one of those statues and really inspected it <laughs> to be, and just kind of looked at it. And, you know, maybe I should do that more just to kind of reminisce about old Oklahoma football players that, uh, you know, got a statue in Heisman Park. 
I still have not seen the Baker Mayfield statue up close and personal yet. So the next time I go down to Norman, I got to make sure to at least go check it out uh, and just to kind of get, get, get the first thoughts. So, uh, but yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I did want to talk about the statue a little bit. Uh, how do you feel about the, the pose? I, I mean, the, the Sif arm pose, I think that was kind of the most obvious one and they went with it and that made the most sense, right? Because he, he did that against Oklahoma State at the time when he did that. It was kind of like, oh, I mean, because that was late in the year. He was having a great season. He was probably the Heisman front runner at that point. And it was like, oh, my gosh, he does like a little bit of a stiff arm like the Heisman. It just makes sense that that should have been the Heisman pose, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think actually I think um, he may have said this after the game when he had like that little 10 or 15 minutes, but he said that he got to pick it. So, um, yeah. And he did. He, yeah, he, he did. said that Joe Castiglione was not going to let them do the flag plant. And I'm, I'm, I'm about to I'm, I'm about to have a hot take here. Good. That would have been stupid. Well, yeah, that would have been ridiculous. Not a I'm <laughs> absolutely I'm, ridiculous. I'm actually I'm putting myself out there right now. I do not like the flag plant. I'm not a huge like it doesn't it doesn't like bother me that it happened. It's just it's not it's really I just don't think it's as cool as a lot of people think it is. I, I get what you're saying. It it was just it was a whole thing, you know, caught up in the moment. It was it was a great game. I mean, that's let's see. I don't want to step out of turn but i i think i think that was the best the best win of the lincoln riley era ohio state am i i mean yeah i mean that's that's the best win outside of the alabama sugar bowl of the last 10 years of oklahoma football i mean because he only won one bowl game and it was the florida one which was whatever so he didn't win another. You know, he didn't oh, win this a, is not a even. It's game. of course that is absolutely the biggest win of the Lincoln Riley era. It's not even remotely close. And it was the second game. I mean, I know the. I mean, there's some memorable games. The Baylor game with Jalen Hurts is obviously incredibly memorable because of the insane comeback they had. But it's a game in which they should have never been down that that bad, anyways. Like that. That's not a great game. That's just that's an incredible comeback. Like I actually don't. Eh, maybe this is, but outside of, I'm trying to think of just like since the turn of the century, bigger wins than their win in Columbus. The only two that I can, th- or the only three that I can think of that are obvious in my mind are 2000 Nebraska, 2000 National Championship game, and the two and and the Sugar Bowl against Alabama. The only games I can think of that are arguably bigger than that Ohio State win. So point being, it was such a huge win, obviously, and it's a season with which, you know, Baker knew it was his last year. They had national title hopes. It was week two, and they knock off Ohio State in Columbus, and yeah, he does the flag plant thing, and it was kind of, yeah, it was, it was a whole thing. And then, yeah, that's my, <laughs> and that's my favorite flat, OU game yeah. of all time. I, I love that game. I'm in love with that game. It is, you can, <laughs> you can turn that game on at any time, and it, it, it'll just, nostalgia will just come flowing in, come rushing in. And it's also just an awesome game. I mean, it's just a they they beat a really really good team on the road. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, I I think I like more than the flag plant. This is gonna be my hot take. the The Baker Mayfield action I, I enjoy more than the flag plant is the crotch grab, at Kansas. I enjoy that a lot more. And you know why? The whole Kansas thing is ridiculous because everyone was like, oh, his actions that day, he was being a jerk, blah blah blah. He ended up getting, uh, you know, suspended for a, a series. And, you know, it was kind of like, oh, it's Kansas. Come on. In hindsight now, where, you know, it'll be five years ago this fall, that game happened. 
I love that crap from Baker Mayfield in that game because that was the last time. Eh, okay, this isn't really. It was one of the last times that Oklahoma went in and played Kansas and beat the crap out of Kansas, and they didn't get embarrassed themselves against Kansas. And I'm going to blame Baker Mayfield for that or give him credit for that because the only other time <laughs> that Oklahoma has kind of done that to Kansas since then was in 2020 when they slapped Kansas around. But that was the pandemic year. Uh, that was the pandemic season. Other than that, like the Jalen Hurts game was kind of I mean, they touch slapped and go. Kansas around that game. It was just obvious they didn't care, though. They cared a lot when Baker was there. That's my I point. I don't know. I think you're. I That's think you're. For, I think you're kind of misremembering that game. That game was pretty sloppy too. They did not look good in that game. They won. They well, first of all, they covered. It was like thirty-five to three. They won thirty-eight to three, I believe. And the wind was terrible. The weather was awful. And uh, you know they they took care of business. And the the next year they gave up forty to Kansas when Kyler was the quarterback and they gave up like 500 yards of offense or whatever it was maybe not that much but a lot uh 2019 Kansas scored first I was at that game in Lawrence the weather was kind of crappy that game too and OU kind of settled in finally and ended up winning the game by I think three touchdowns it's like 42 to 20 or something like that 42 21 40 to 21 and then uh, the pandemic year okay they slapped Kansas around that way and they they, uh, I think they might have hurt the quarterback. I mean, he was – I felt bad for the quarterback that game. It was like 60-7 to seven maybe, the final score. Yeah, and the game wasn't very watchable. And then, uh, yeah, and then the most, the most infamous game of the Lincoln-Riley era, Kansas from last season. You think okay, that's so, the most infamous game yeah. of the Lincoln-Riley era? I mean, At least in your mind. That was most, when – kind of seemed like that – it is. Kind of seemed like that was when you were almost fully off the bandwagon in retrospect. Yeah, it was, it was bad. All right, you hinted at the other bits around the day. And so I guess at this point, since we're touching on Baker and all the stuff, we'll hit the actual spring game stuff here coming up. But uh, you mentioned the part before the game when Brent Venables brought all the players around at midfield. That was pretty cool. That was extremely effective. And the coolest part of it, like the timing, it's, that wasn't the coolest part, but the timing of it was really cool. As soon as they broke it down on the middle of the field, that's when the little bells started on the intro video. And I thought that was just, that, that was cool. Like, I, I really liked that. But uh, yeah, that, that whole bit of, of, of Venables coming out to midfield kind of before, before the, you know, the, the intro video, um, and he just kind of gave his little sermon, basically. And the entire time, it felt like he was talking to me. I'd be totally honest with you. Everything that they were doing, everything, which is, it kind of just seemed like, for me personally, they were talking to someone like me who was just really, really into that stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, part, like, part of me getting misty with Baker and everything is, was knowing that a ton of, like, I can't even imagine how many guys were down there on the field that I grew up watching um, that I have, I have very fond memories of. And I, I love that stuff. Like, I'm... Um, any time that those guys like want to come back and then that, when they come back, they're essentially saying, yes, this was a very special, important time in my life. Um, and it's, and it's eternal. It continues to go. It's, it's all, you're always in Oklahoma sooner. And Brent Venables was, was hammering that home big time, big time. Um, and it just over and over again during that thing, I just kept thinking to myself, like crap, he might get it. I think he gets it. And, um, it's, uh, like that was really special. It's just cause he was talking 
not just to his former players. A lot of his former, not not all of them were former players. A lot of a lot of a lot of them were. Uh, but he was talking to them, and he was talking to the to the crowd at the same time. And what that does, it really does make you feel like you're all in this together. You all are on the same team. Um, and I, I I will say this: during the Lincoln Riley era, that was not always the case. It did it did it did feel like a lot of the times that there was a wall between the program, the coaches, and the players, and the fans. Um, and it means a lot. It means a lot to me, and I'm sure it means a lot to everyone else. That obviously one of Brent Venables' main uh, one it, it, one of his main focuses is to completely break those walls down, make it feel like everyone's program. Um, and like I said, he gets it. He gets it. I'm not sure the last guy did. Yeah, I believe Oklahoma said about 250 or so former players were around, and I mean there were so many being on the field. I mean you just kind of look around like, hey, there's. I mean, there's the obvious one. There's hey, there's Gerald McCoy. Like oh hey, there's C.D. Lamb. There's Marquise Brown. The Boz. AD <laughs> there, was there. There, 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 there. There's AD. There's Aaron Colvin. Uh, there's big uh, big Jeremy Beal. There. Jeremy there's, Beal uh, was there, know, huh? Yep. There, that uh, is you know, awesome. Some of the more recent ones. There, there's Cody Ford. Uh, you know, even more recent, you got Perry on Winfrey, Neville Gallimore, our our uh, our guy Kenneth Mann. I saw him down there. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm missing out on it. And there's definitely like older, you know, 70s, 60s, 90s, you know, I'm sure as well that I'm, I'm missing on. I mean, Mark Clayton saw him there, and which I hold you know, dear, more near and dear to my heart because he's also a, a former Bears player. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, it, it's there were dudes. It um, there are dudes in the stand. I mean, not all the not all the former players were on the field too. plenty of guys were in the stands, too. Um, I saw yeah. I saw Chance Sylvie uh, near where where I was sitting. Um, he wasn't down there on the field, and so it makes me wonder how many other guys were just kind of just there. Um, pro- probably more so than than we know. Um, but also, we, I mean, Kyler was there, man. It kind of feels like I oh, mean, yeah. if if like if Kyler is there, it just it kind of feels like yeah, it's it's a pretty big deal to be there. Kyler, Steve Owens, obviously Jason White, the former Heisman winners. Sam Bradford was at the event the night before. Uh, I guess I heard he had a family thing Saturday, so he wasn't at the actual game. So all the, you know, the Heisman, speaking of Jason White and Kyler, they were, they were chopping it up a lot during halftime. They were just, it's, it's almost like, because I've kind of heard that, I don't, I don't know, like sometimes it's kind of difficult to talk to Kyler, sometimes it's difficult to talk to Jason White. I don't know. I mean, he was a little like Kyler, you know, covering him. He's kind of quiet, you know, kind of a quiet guy. But uh, maybe they have like the the language down or something, the Heisman language, because they, <laughs> they were they were chopping it up together. And it was kind of just neat thinking like, OK, this guy, Kyler Murray, was here five minutes ago. You and I, when we were kids were watching Jason White, I mean, it's been 20 years since Jason White was on the team and they're just sitting there in a super elite fraternity. They're Heisman Trophy winners, uh, both went to Oklahoma and they're sitting there. Who knows what they're talking about? But they're one, you know, they have a lot of things in common and that's. I mean, that's, that's part of life that I know you've mentioned, you've talked about a lot on this podcast, is just how you like to have that connection with certain people. And that was a good example of it for me, even though, uh, you know, they're, again, they're an elite fraternity, but they're, you know, 20 years apart in age or more. I mean, it's, it's crazy. The, um, ah, uh, yeah, the, the picture at midfield with Baker holding his, his Heisman trophy surrounded, I wish Sam would have been there for that picture. And I know they all took a picture the night before. Um, 
but that that's an uh, Kyler in his baseball jersey, and then just him him with Jason White and Billy Sims and Steve. I mean, I love that. Feed that. Uh, put that directly into my veins. You know what? I don't. I didn't see Billy Sims. Was Billy not there? I don't think Billy Sims was there. Now I think about it, that's kind of the most shocking. You know, I, I don't think he was there. Huh? I don't remember seeing Billy Sims. I mean, this is. I mean, yeah, you got. Me, I'm just assuming he was there because he's he's at everything. I mean, he's he, he, he he's never missed an opportunity to yell boomer in his entire life. I know. I mean, he would have been at. I don't know if he was at the thing on Friday either. Hey, can we I, just that? That just reminded me of one thing. I know. I know you're you're big J journalist, and you gotta you gotta gotta tamp down your emotions here. How freaking awesome was it when Baker Baker gave the boomer, and then this, and then the um, the crowd, their response with sooner was. I think I, I think Carrie Murdoch said this on their post game pod, but it actually was the best sooner in the OU crowd like ever. I mean, it was perfect in unison, loud and all. I mean, and when 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 Venables did it before the game too, it was awesome. But I I love that stuff, man. And it wasn't ruined by a second boomer. It's just one boomer, then one sooner, and you get out. You move on with your life. Can't yeah, see, overdo actually, it. I'm, you I'm a big, always I'm leave him wanting more. Big fan of that too. Yeah, especially if you're on the mic. Yeah, just doing just doing the one boomer is probably the right thing. <laughs> All right, tons of players back. We hit on that. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Billy Sims wasn't there. Did they? Th- I haven't listened to the Sooner Scoop Pod. Did they mention Billy Sims at all in there? I was gonna listen to it later. I don't think so. But, uh, but also, you know, like like I, I said, yeah, I just talk I mean, about that. He's at every OU event ever. It feels it. It seems like so. I just I. Oh. Maybe I just I maybe I just mentally just just colored him in right there just like in the it's like ah yeah I just I assume that Billy Sims is there so just my brain just completed the picture. Okay, so if anything else comes to our minds when it comes to Baker or the former players and all that, all the other you know surrounding events, we'll hit on it. But for now, let's move on to the actual game. And man, let the, that first half took forever. So I, I mean. There was a lot of buildup to Baker at halftime. <laughs> uh, that first half took forever. Uh, thank God the weather wasn't that bad. I mean, it was. I mean, it was warm and it was windy, but the rain, everything held off. And and I guess I didn't even mention that. I mean, that was my biggest concern was the weather. Fans came out and the weather. Uh, you know, I guess Mother Nature was good to us. It was good to us, so that was good. It might have affected though the passing game a little bit, and that. I don't know if it would – it definitely didn't affect it as much as it affected it in 2018 when Kyler Murray had his first spring game. But uh, I, I think maybe the passing game was affected a little bit by the wind. We didn't get a chance really to see Dylan Gabriel push the football down the field. And so let's start with Dylan Gabriel, Grant. Uh, this is a guy who – I teased this at the start of the show. I, uh, my thoughts on him have changed in the last 24 hours as far as how I thought he played. So – I'll tease it again, but I'll toss it to you. Uh, when you left the stadium, what did you think about Dylan Gabriel's performance, and has that changed at all after you've now watched back the tape? I guess when I was when I was watching it live, I was thinking to myself, "Hey, eh, he's he's not too sharp today." Um, was was mostly kind of where I was, um, and I still like I, I don't you know even when I went back and rewatched it, I, I wasn't just like, "Oh God, yeah, I was totally wrong," and he was actually great. He was fine. He was totally fine. Um, kind of exactly what I expect, actually. He's, um, I was um, pleasantly surprised by his athleticism. 
He's he's very obviously not a statue back there. He is he he's going to provide you know a lot more mobility than a Spencer Rattler would. Um, and the people saying that his mobility is similar to Baker Mayfield that's 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 pretty close to being right. Pretty close. He's he's not as big and as thick as Baker was, but in terms of like straight line speed and being able to move around, they're they're pretty similar in, in that regard. Um, but other than that, he's you know he was inconsistent with his accuracy and his decision making which is exactly what you see when you watch him at UCF. Yeah, I mean, leaving the, uh, leaving the stadium Saturday night, I didn't get out of there until around 9.30 just because of my job and everything. Who cares? Uh, that's what I like to say sometimes. Who cares? I, I had a very neutral opinion on him. I, I didn't think he, he did anything big time to stand out, but I also didn't think that he did anything really that looked bad. That I was like, oh, that's, that's awful. Except, I mean, the pick he threw was a bad pick. But other than that, I mean... Uh, I was kind of just like, okay, I mean, I can't wait to watch the tape. And so after watching, I got to say, I, I was pleased with his performance overall. I, I mean, he was 19 to 28, 250 yards, touchdown, threw that pick. I really like his demeanor. He looked calm back there, which you see that on tape at UCF. I know he's not allowed to get hit in the spring game, so that I'm sure that helps quite a bit in these spring practices because he's not in danger of getting knocked around, but... Again, he's a veteran player. We've seen him in the past be calm, run this offense, and he knows this offense. And, you know, I think I saw some examples, Grant, of Jeff Levy's offense taking open yards, taking yards that were going to be given to them by the defense. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, five yards, seven yards here. Uh, Defense showing some cushion, nine yards here, and taking the yards. And I thought he was mostly accurate, uh, save for maybe a handful of throws. I know he tried to take the top off early with Marvin Mims. And that wasn't a great pass. That that, that deep was the ball. first. That was really the only time I felt the the wind really affected them throwing the ball. Was on that play because mm, I, I, okay. I when I was in the stadium, I didn't really feel the wind at all. It was almost like a perfect weather day from where I was. Yeah, it was one of those things where the the flags at the top of the stadium were going crazy, but I think the stadium walls kind of blocked some of it down on the field level, so it really wasn't as bad as as maybe it looked on TV. Uh, but, you know, I mentioned that interception he threw. That was a deep shot that was picked off. I mean, really, his only his only deep shot that was nice was the one to Weiss early on in the game. Uh, yeah, and and good that play. was good. The and one so, the, the picky yeah. threw to Kendall Dennis, though, I'm 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 encouraged that it wasn't that it was in single coverage and it was just a bad throw. Like, I, w- I, w- I would be much more concerned if it was like if he just hucked it into triple coverage and it was a terrible decision. Sure. Sure, but it wasn't a good decision, though. I mean, it, like he wasn't open. I mean, Kendall Dennis played that really well. It's almost like he predetermined the throw. Yeah, he was trying to throw yeah. a back shoulder. So, yeah, I, I'm still waiting to see if Dylan Gabriel is a player who, who can consistently take you know, somewhat high-percentage downfield shots uh, because we haven't really seen it yet, and that's just one spring game with a little bit of weird weather. Uh, his career yards per attempt average is pretty good. So, I mean, he's done it before. So that's kind of, you know, that'll be a question mark going into the, the season is, is what what does he look like pushing down the field or is he going to be more of a dink and dunk type guy? But I like that he was I'm glad that he played as much as he did. I'm glad that he saw, saw a bunch of snaps because we got a chance to really get a good look at him. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think a lot of that has to do with they just don't they don't have a lot at quarterback right now. But I do wonder how much of that was just kind of an intentional thing where they're just like, hey, this is. This is the new guy. We, we it's it's probably best to to get the fan base a good look at this guy. Um, I'm I'm sure that was part of it, but uh, no, I mean I I thought he was he was perfectly fine. I, I'm 
like I said, I I don't think you know anything that happened on Saturday is going to is going to de- uh, is going to derail my thoughts that he's very obviously your 2022 Heisman Trophy winner. It's <laughs> fitting that we got to see him for the first time when the 2017 Heisman Trophy winner was in the building along with many other Heisman Trophy winners. It just it just makes sense, really. I mean, it does I'm just saying it's I mean. It happens at OU. It's just it's it's what we do. It's our thing. All right, moving on to other positions on the offense. I know you and I were really interested to see what Javante Barnes looked like, and he had a ton of opportunities to get touches. Marcus Major was unavailable. So true freshman, early enrollee, Javante Barnes. God, what do you have? I think he had something like 18 carries or something like that. Like um, 17 for 60 and two touchdowns, I think. A couple of touchdowns. Uh, him and Tawi Walker. Had the most work back there. I never heard of the guy until the spring game. Uh, Eric Gray, only four carries. Had one, that one explosive run. Obviously, they're, they're holding Gray back because he's an incredibly important part of the offense. So uh, no need to risk injuries on him. But uh, Javante Barnes, it's, it's unfortunate that we didn't get a chance. And you can throw Walker into this as well, who, who just comes out of nowhere. We didn't get a chance to see really any of those guys in space. We saw Eric Gray in space for the one long run uh Javante Barnes's longest run was 13 yards Walker's longest run went, went only 11 yards uh Tawi Walker though did out of the backfield catch a pass and he was in some space and he made a nice move on Ethan Downs and I think picked up something like 15 or 20 yards so we got to see him a little bit uh but running backs wise not a whole lot to take away I mean I I liked it was good, I guess. It's just they didn't get a chance to really get out and stretch their legs, so it kind of makes you, you know, wanting some more. It seems like a lot of people who are down on field level uh, came away really, really impressed with Javante Barnes. I, you know, I, I was in one of the end zones and, like, in one of the corners, so I, you know, the angle there is not great, especially for offensive line play. Um, and I, I, I re-watched uh, the first half as well the uh, on, on TV you know, I, I think it's clear that Javante Barnes is, you know, is going to get a lot of opportunities upcoming this season. I think he's he's very clearly in their plans, um, and it, it it looks nice that he looks physically ready to play. Um, but at the same time, he didn't have any space in this game. I, I don't know how any how anyone can come to any sort of conclusion about him when he just he had zero space to work with in this game. So I guess if you want to like, it's it's nice that he kind of looked the part in his uniform and whatnot. Um, but I, you know, I don't really think that we can take much away from him other than it's clear that he's in the plans of the coaching staff based on how, how much he was utilized. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And, and honestly, I think we saw more completely honest. I think we saw more from Tawi Walker than Javante Barnes because, because uh, of that one play I mentioned where he kind of got out into space and, and he showed some, some power in some of his runs. He's a junior college transfer, I, I guess. Uh, I was talking to Dusty last night, Dusty Dvorak, and I guess he's from the same community college as Ramondre Stevenson. That's what Dusty said, at least. So that's kind of interesting. So a little bit of a pipeline there. Um, the question is, you know, is he a guy that's going to be part of the plan this fall? And I think after the spring game, I would say there's a good chance. Uh, of also, where is Marcus Major fallen? Is Marcus Major going to be somebody who can take the reins as a number two or, I guess, number three back? Uh, if not, then I think Tawi Walker is going to have a pretty good shot considering he's an early, enro- you know, he's here already. And a guy like Gavin Sachuk, who's going to be a true freshman, 
has still not got on campus yet. So, I mean, he's the, he's the guy coming in for reinforcements, but he's going to be a little bit behind compared to to uh, this Walker guy. Tawi Walker was is, in my mind, the, on the offensive side of the ball, the biggest takeaway for me. He was, I in, in terms of the guys that we don't, that we didn't know anything about, Tawi Walker was head and shoulders the most impressive of, of anybody. Um, it's a spring game. Take it with a grain of salt, of course. Like you know, I mentioned in the pre game, the, the the pre spring game podcast that there's walk ons who have you know gone crazy in this game have, have had great games. Um, how many of those walk ons are a are a clone of Chris Brown? I mean, it is <laughs> he is a clone. They are the same player. Go, go, uh, go! Pull up any like any game from two thousand six through two thousand and nine, and and tell me that guy is not a spitting image of Chris Brown on the field. Now, do they? Did Chris Brown wear number twenty nine as well? I believe he did. Yes. So I mean that that helps as well. But here's here's the thing. I mean, for example, like Todd Hudson got a few carries in the game, and we know about Todd Hudson. He's been on campus now for a few years. You'd think, though, if, if it was one of those things where it's like, ah, we're trying to give these guys carries just to burn them through, then a guy like Todd Hudson would have gotten more. But no, like they, I think they're kind of telling us they like Tawi Walker a lot. <laughs> I like I, This is all I've seen of him. I liked him. I liked him quite a bit. He is, because he's got that, I don't know, he, he, he does. He seems, he really does, like his running style, it does feel like physically sort of a meld between Chris Brown and Samaj Pirine. Um, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying that he's, that he's as good as either of those guys. I'm just saying the style is very clear. He's a, he's a big stocky guy who has a really good center of gravity. It looks like he's got good balance. I mean, he was taking Mm -hmm. shots and he was staying up. Um, and his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield as well with the quarterback rolling out. Um, not saying that Tawi Walker is going to be their feature back, but I just saw more from Tawi Walker in one spring game than I've seen from Marcus Major in three years of him being on campus. Uh, give Marcus Major some credit because he had some good bowl game performances. I get your point, but that might be you know classic Grant hyperbolic statement. It might be, it might be. Um, but I mean that guy, that guy can play. He's a player. Like this is, I mean Todd Hudson was out there too, and Tawi Walker looked quite a bit better than Todd Hudson. Yeah, and speaking, of, and I know I brought up Todd, so did you, and I just kind of thought of this. So think of it this way, okay? So Tawi Walker was on the same team as Eric Gray. It's pretty clear that they were trying to keep Eric Gray, you know, fresh and not risking injury. So Tawi Walker was the only other guy, and so he got 13 carries. But if you think about it, though, uh, on the on the other side, Javante Barnes with Marcus Major injured, you think, okay, let's like Javante Barnes is our second best, you know, running back in this game. Let's maybe try to also take it easy on him as well. Well, they didn't. They they had Javante Barnes take a bunch of carries, 17, and they they didn't you know, bench him and bring in Todd Hudson a bunch. So, it, and Javante Barnes is a player that we know, I mean, has a pretty good chance to, to have some action this year. So, using that logic, I think Tawi Walker kind of is showing us that maybe he has a pretty good chance too, based off of the, his spring practice. Well, I mean, just based on numbers right now, of course he's got and a that too, really yeah. good chance. You got, got Gray and Barnes who are both healthy, totally. I, you know, Major wasn't there on, didn't play on Saturday, and there's, sounds like he just really hasn't been that healthy throughout spring, and so yeah, of course, Tawi Walker is there. He's it's a numbers thing right now, and he he looks good to me. He looks good. Like of course, I mean, a lot of things can happen. Um, I still think they need to be in the portal looking for a running back. 
uh, more of kind of like a home run hitter type guy. Because uh, I, I, I don't know if we saw that from Javante Barnes. Maybe down the line. Um, just not sure that we saw it in this game. So uh, we'll see. I don't know. I thought, you know, offensively, I thought, you said, yeah, I, I thought Gabriel was fine. And, I, and I'm pleased with how he looked. Um, I'm excited about the receivers. I think the receivers have a chance to be really, really good. Um, and maybe tell me if you agree or disagree with this, but I, I was paying attention. I, I thought it was pretty clear. You can pick out who the top four receivers are because it was the guys who Gabriel looked at the most. Mims, Weiss, Stoops, and Fruk. Those are the guys that he was looking he was looking towards the most. Yeah, I mean, we knew that going in, right? I mean, we knew those were the top four going in. It's nice seeing that. It's nice seeing that confirmed with your eyes, though, especially. And it looked like it looked like to me, right, that he's really comfortable with Drake Stoops. Yeah, yeah, and and obviously Weiss had the the big play early in the game. That was his only target. I, I don't know if he didn't maybe play it many many snaps. Maybe they held him out. I don't know. I didn't pay that close attention when I was watching the tape back. Uh, but you know, Weiss only had the one target, the one catch, and you know, for all we know, he was done. But yeah, I mean, Marvin Mims had the touchdown. He was targeted three times. Looking at the box score right now, uh, yes, uh, Drake Stoops, he's going to be that seemingly kind of possession guy. Same with like Daniel Parker and the tight ends, Parker and Braden Willis, who had a couple of catches. If I had, uh, if I had to, uh, you know, quiz you and said, "Hey, who had the most targets in the game? Who would you Jayden guess?" Jaden Gibson. Yeah, yeah, okay, good, good call. Uh, yeah, Jaden Gibson had nine targets. <laughs> Now his uh, percentage of catch, you know, or catch percentage was not very good. He only had three catches, uh, but obviously one of them was the big one, and it came from you know your favorite quarterback of all time, Micah Bowens. So there you go. My favorite quarterback of all time, huh? Yeah, I thought you you told me before the show started that you really wanted to hit on Micah Bowens because he's your favorite quarterback of all time. I yeah, I did say that. You got me. I mean, he is going to be the backup though. I mean, I unless they go and get someone in the portal, I I think it's. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I, don't, gonna, I don't know if that's that much of a hot take. At this, I, I think that's everyone's kind of coming around to that being the logical thing that's going to happen. They're going to try to find somebody in the portal. Uh, I'll tell you, sorry, it, it ain't going to be Nick Evers backing up. Sorry, Nick. Uh, you're a freshman, but uh, that was a, he looked kind of like a deer in the headlights scenario. Uh, Rucker didn't get as much play. Um, yeah, Micah Bowens, honestly, I thought looked fine. You know, he got the touchdown pass. He kind of had a he had one or two balls that were kind of weird, inaccurate. But he kind of looked like the same kind of poise back there as Gabriel the, the few times he was throwing. Uh, but uh, but J- how about this up? Uh, Jaden Gibson, a player that I'm pretty excited about. A lot of people are. Looks very skinny out there. But aside from the four main receivers you mentioned, I mean nine targets. I think he's a he can he can have some instant impact on this offense. That is kind of odd, yeah. He he gets nine targets, and then you know guys like Brian Darby and Trayvon West. You don't see we didn't see a ton of them. Um, they were out no. there. They played, just didn't see a lot of them. Cody Jackson played a lot. Well, and he's reportedly in the portal now, right? That's the news today. Did I didn't see that. See that? I did oh, not no, see that. Yeah. yeah, that's the the news. Uh, multiple reports. Cody Jackson's the first. The first guy entering the portal for OU kind of after the spring. So he, Cody Jackson had five targets, three catches, 21 yards. Uh, but uh, he's a player that we, uh, we talked about. He was a, a, a part of our can't miss or can't play. And I want to say both of us said can't play. I definitely did. I, mean, I, don't, I can't remember what you said. I might have said can't miss because I was feeling nice. But 
and also because I'm I'm an idiot, a complete idiot. I'll have to go back and look at that or listen to that. But uh, yeah, it looks like Cody Jackson is going to decide to move on. That doesn't surprise me. That that doesn't surprise me at all. He's a guy who, I mean, it, it looks like you know from that class, Farouk is, has taken the you know has taken the mantle. So um, I think you know as we as we go further into NIL and we and not necessarily NIL but just the one time transfer rule. I think wide receiver is a position that is going to have a ton of churn on essentially every single campus in the country. All right, other offensive notes. Haven't talked at all about the offensive line. Honestly, there's not a lot to take away. I not yeah, because they weren't we, you know, it's it's so hard to judge the offensive line when it's not the top unit altogether. And um I would say yeah, I mean if if you want to just if you want to go position group by position group, the offensive line was the least impressive position group out of, you know, across the board, I thought. Uh just because there was not a lot of room in the running game. Uh, outside of a, of you know a handful of of kind of chunk plays, um, and also the quarterbacks were under just a ton of pressure the entire game. They didn't do a very good job blocking them up. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the offensive line, the starters were definitely mixed up, and I actually wrote down the starters for each team, and so I, I think we can kind of get an idea of who the starters are right now, based off of how they were split up from each team, and so it looks like the starters. On the left side, at left tackle is Anton Harrison. At left guard is McCade Mattire. Uh, center, Rame wasn't available. I didn't see him play. Uh, I Actually, I, I heard he was in uniform. I was talking to some of the guys down on the field level. I heard he was in uniform, but I, I didn't see him play. Uh, Robert Conjol started for the white team. But uh, you know, it was, it was Harrison, Mattire, and Conjol starting for the white team. And then on the right side of the white team, it was Bray Walker and Aaron Parks. And I haven't heard much about those two players this spring. So I would guess that the starting players on the right side were on the other team, which were Chris Murray and Wanye Morris. And so, again, this is really confusing what I'm saying. I'm going to guess right now Andrew Rame is your starting center. It's just unfortunate he didn't get to practice much at all this spring, and he's going to be behind. So center is kind of – I don't know if it's up in the air, but Andrew Rame is behind just based off of on-field work. So that will be something to look forward to in the fall. Hopefully, he can kind of get up to speed. But as far as guards and tackles, the starters right now look to be at right tackle, Wanya Morris. At left tackle, Anton Harrison. At right guard, Chris Murray. At left guard, McCade Mattire. Those look to be the starting offensive linemen. And yeah, we didn't get a chance to see them all play together on Saturday. It was, it was a mix and match. But yeah, they, they, you know, yeah. And, and we'll get to it when we talk about the defense. But I mean, yeah, there's quite a bit of guys up front who who looked who had pretty impactful days uh because the offensive line was struggling to block so that's you know that's that's one thing that's going to be tough especially like you said they're not all together the defense has seen a lot of what the offensive you know has done during during spring practice not too insanely worried about that at this point in time um one other thing I just I wanted to touch on just because I mentioned it on the segment that we did about, you know, can't miss or can't play. We talked about Jason Llewellyn. Um, pretty adamant I was that he was going to be an offensive lineman. He did play H-back yesterday. So just wanted to... Uh, well, I think you were talking about that for down the line, though, not necessarily this season. I mean, they're not going to just change him to offensive line right away, I don't think. I mean, that would be... I think, I mean, crazy. I guess, you know, based how I was talking the other week, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be totally reasonable to, 
to think that that's what I was insinuating. So I just I wanted to oh. to put it out there. So yeah, he he was playing H back. Oh okay, well, <laughs> good call. Hey man, I'm just, just trying to trying to hold myself accountable for my takes, you know. <laughs> Uh, let's go over to the defensive side, and I tease at the start a couple of defensive players that stood out to me big time, and I'm curious if these two guys also stood out to you, and they're both at the same position, uh, or yeah, on the, on the edge. Reggie Grimes and Marcus Stripling both looked really good to me on Saturday. What about you? Did th- those two players stand out to you? Uh, the three guys that I wrote down as really stood out for where one of them was Marcus Stripling, uh, just because he was everywhere. He just he made a lot of plays. Um, honestly, I didn't um, didn't really notice Reggie Grimes all that much. Uh, did notice Jordan Kelly a lot. He was a guy who I thought was winning one on ones pretty consistently. Um, the other guy that I noticed, not necessarily for just making a bunch of oh, like oh crap great plays or anything, but Keyshawn Lawrence Lee has just kind of a an aura around him out there that is sort of infectious, and it's like you you always notice him on the field. At least I did when, especially when I was watching the the TV broadcast. Okay, interesting. Yeah, Key didn't. I mean, except for you know one, he had a PBU that was kind of a a weird throw. It was actually one of a deep shot by Gabriel that could have been picked off. Uh, that was kind of late in the second. quarter. He had a play where he came up into the box and he met Tawi Walker like in the in the gap, and he just kind of just speared him, and he just he went down almost instantly. And that, I mean, that was a really good play. Um, he can't. He he popped Drake Stoops really nicely over the middle once. Um, oh it was yeah, that was the way that he was moving around yeah. out there. It looked like he looked really comfortable at safety. Good, good. Yeah, no. I mean, he's he's likely going to be one of your starting safeties. Uh, that, that's not that's not a controversial opinion. Uh, but uh, yeah, Stripling five tackles, couple of sacks. Uh, he was yeah he was everywhere. Uh, tech, uh, four TFLs. Jeez. Um, and Grimes only, I guess, you know, Grimes, numbers aren't that, that crazy. He had, he had, he had a sack He had Well, they credited him with a TFL. He had a sack. Oh, it was a sack. Okay. Uh, but I saw, I've kind of swore. I mean, I saw him getting, getting off the ball, moving around really quickly, getting some pressure. And I might need to and watch it. So, again. so, I mean, Grimes looked good to me. Um, I think it was Ethan Downs who forced a fumble early in the game. Uh, Justin Harrington forced a fumble at the goal line. Tawi Walker fumbled. Obviously, Kendall Dennis, give him credit for getting the interception. Kind of the first time we've ever really talked about Kendall Dennis. Um, so, uh, position-wise, talk about starters. This is kind of interesting to me. So, the white team starting corners, I think, are probably the current starting corners. Woody Washington and Kenai Walker. Uh, DJ Graham, though, was unavailable. So, who knows? Maybe Graham... Maybe Graham is still a starter alongside Washington. He just couldn't play. He's like very like you know Marcus Major. He wasn't available. Saw him down there in street clothes. But uh, the fact that Woody Washington and Kenai Walker were on the field together, along with uh, Justin Broyles at nickel, who we all kind of think maybe will be the starting nickel, Billy Bowman, who we all kind of think will be the starting safety, one of the starting safeties. Uh, those four players were together. The only player that was surprising that no one's really talking about as a starter that was with that group on the white team was the other safety, Robert Spears Jennings, true freshman, because Key Lawrence was on the other team. And so Key was kind of on, on the team with what we would probably guess are some, you know, maybe the backup secondary players, unless we've got bad information. But, you know, Key was out there with Damon Harmon at safety, uh, Jaden Davis at corner, Kendall Dennis at corner. And another thing I teased at the start of the show that I did not expect this at all, 
but apparently it's a thing, and we're going to see how this plays out, Grant. Jaron Kanick, he was playing the nickel Sam position. The, the entire game. position. So is Justin Harrington. So, yes. Yeah, so, Kanick, he is the only guy who's listed as a linebacker that was playing that position on Saturday. Everybody else is a D-back. Justin Broyles, Harrington, Bryson Washington. And I don't know if we have a segment for, like, disappointing or surprise that we didn't see much for. The last guy that was playing that, I guess, cheetah position Transfer Trey Morrison, and I have not heard a much. Uh, uh, I have not heard a lot about Trey Morrison. I'm not so sure that he is moving up the depth chart, maybe as much as maybe we would have thought, considering all of his experience at North Carolina. Yeah, I don't know because I didn't. I didn't really notice him out there either. And I mean, he um, was there. He he was. It was he and uh, Justin Broyles were on the same team. It was it was those two players at nickel the entire time for that team, back and forth. So, uh, I mean, I I guess potentially he's. Maybe he's a, a backup considering because he was with the Royals. Or if they split up the ones and twos, can we can we deduce that a guy like Jaron Canick right now is considered to be potentially the, the backup nickel? Who's a guy that's a freshman that's a linebacker? Unless that's, he's I mean, unless his they're development just thinking, is super interesting. Unless he's just the Sam in those types of packages. See, I, and that's that, Right, right. That's Which what I, I think wondering. is possible because I did. I mean, both defenses for the first series came out in a four-two-five with a nickel. So I don't know. I we're probably probably taking too much from that. I would guess a lot of stuff still has to happen, man. I, there's a CJ Colden is still coming into that room in the in the off season, and your guy. Yeah, he's 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 good. Like he's he, that guy is good. I mean, it's he. I like I don't I don't think that guy is going to come in and he's just going to ride the bench. So I mean it's going to be interesting to see where how that shakes out. Man, it's I you know I I was pretty happy with the secondary on cuz like when you and I noticed this too and I was sort of rewatching it. There were some, you know, some throws that Gabriel had right that were a little little off, didn't look great in terms of accuracy. Coverage was pretty sticky. It was it was pretty sticky. Like I I didn't did you nobody got burned. Uh, the one like I know, you know, Theo East was able to to separate from Kenai Walker, but that was on a scramble drill. Right, right. Um, no, I, I mean the only thing is I the, the Marvin Mims touchdown. I, I'd like to know what that coverage was supposed to be. That uh, the Witter blitzed and uh, McCoy was playing middle linebacker, and I, I, Mims just went behind them, and both safeties. It's like they were playing a deep a, a deep half, and so the middle of the field was wide open, but. It didn't look like McCoy was playing cover two because if he was, he would have gotten deeper to take away the middle of the field. So that that looked like maybe a busted coverage, and so I just would. Be I thought curious that was what happened bust. there. There was that was either a bust, that was either McCoy or it was the deep safety who 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 took the outside receiver and left the middle of the field wide open. I mean, that's that would be interesting. I'd, I'd love to hear a breakdown of what happened on that play, but I don't know. I mean, it's it was going to happen eventually. I mean, that was the only busted coverage I can think of. Yeah, and it's well, good. I mean, the, I hope, and I hope it was on Jake McCoy because. Well, uh, I mean, Jaden Gibson burned his uh, his counterpart on the touchdown, but uh, he's straight man coverage against a walk on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he like he looked pretty good breaking away from that guy. He did for sure. How about the defensive line? I, I'll go down the starters on both teams, and honestly, it's like I have a pretty good idea who the main starters are, but both. 
starting defensive line groups, you kind of I look at them like like oh that's pretty good. So you look at the the white team, their starters on the defensive line: Reggie Grimes, Jordan Kelly, Jeffrey Johnson, Jordan Laulu. Uh, that's pretty good. And then on the red team, it was Ethan Downs, Jalen Redmond, Ellison, and Stripling. Like, eh, and especially considering Stripling played so well, it's like, eh, that's pretty good. So I, you know, I, I don't, and I, th- I felt this way before spring practice started. Just, I mean, just looking at the roster, this just sort of the defensive line I, again is going to be the best position group on the team. Um, I, or at least, at least the deepest. I think that's 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 gonna that's one of the ironic uh, things about the about them rotating so much last season is that God they could never get in a rhythm. But the good thing about it is that gosh they got a lot of guys on their team who have played a lot of college football now at least. Um, so yeah, I think I I think their defensive line, and I'm not necessarily just going off the spring game here. Their defensive line could absolutely be really salty next year. Um, and I know, I know Baylor's got a really good D line coming back with, uh, with, you know, Siaka Ike on there. Uh, but if OU has the best defensive line in the big 12 next year, it's not going to shock me one bit, like at all. I mean, they, they got a bunch of dudes you can play. Like, you know, who, who is not even in that top eight of guys that you just mentioned there is a guy like Corey Roberson, who, yeah. who, who we know can play. Isaiah Coe can move some bodies Isaiah up Coe front. not in there. I, I mean, uh, that's, I mean. Like we have high hopes for Kevin Gilliam, who can't who came in to so I mean that's just three other three other guys right there. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, and I don't have any examples from the spring game to back this up. It's more just kind of like a feeling, and maybe it's just uh it's a general optimism of Brent Venables and, and his his history. But I, I got the sense, I got the feeling the white team, the starting linebackers for the white team was were Deshaun White and David Oguebu. And I just kind of got the sense of feeling that both of those players looked a lot more comfortable than they ever have playing linebacker. And again, I don't have any examples of that. Like, like, oh, this play here where they, I just kind, just kind of watching generally, they just seemed like they were more comfortable. And again, I could be way off base on that. It just kind of felt that way to me, and I have no evidence to back it up. Full transparency. No thoughts on <laughs> David Igwebu. Um I know for the first time that I can remember in his entire OU career, Deshaun White stood a guy up and drove him backwards. That happened. I was like the third play of the game. It was it was Javante Barnes. I think he's had I think he's had some plays. You're just you're forgetting. He's had some he's had some plays where he's done some stuff like that. I want to say against Baylor, maybe at some point a few years ago. No, you're right. It's not, not it's not fair. like Deshaun White, you know, Deshaun White had a had a maybe was actually Houston. a pretty solid player in the second half of this past season. Um him and Asamoah sort of kind of got a lot more consistent as the year went on. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't know what takeaways yet from from there. It's like we all hope, right, that the tackling is going to be better. Um, I was. I mean, Teddy Lehman said something pretty simple and actually, I, I think, pretty smart on on their pregame podcast or whatever. But he said, "Man, he's like, if 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 there's if there's only one thing that Venables and his staff can improve, if they come in and they just improve the tackling on the team, nothing else can improve, and they'll like the defense will be way way better. <laughs> um, and that's like I think everyone who has watched OU football in the last, I mean, let's say really since the 2016 season, can attest that like yeah, they, this team has sucked at tackling. I mean, for about six or seven years now, and 
like yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that be that that can be corrected by just getting the guys on the freaking ground as soon as you get your hands on them. Like how many Name times did we talk about it this past year with Isaiah Thomas? Dude would have won the Bednarik or something if he just would have gotten guys on the ground. Could have gotten his hands on them. <laughs> yeah. The last thing on defense, a play stood out to me. A a play that I really don't think I've seen much of in a long time. And I saw this is gonna sound dumb. We saw kind of a, a version of it at times in the 2018 season after Mike Stoops was fired. Uh, remember, remember in 2018, whenever we'd get super excited on third down, when they would bring everybody up to the line of scrimmage, and then they'd drop guys, and I think that might blitz one person. No, they'd blitz through the A-gap, the old A-gap blitz. And it, it, it started, it worked at first, but then teams r- like recognize like, oh, like every third down, they're doing the same thing. Yeah, we know what they're doing, and then it stopped working. So there was a situation in the game, which I'm sure is going to happen a lot more, with Brent Venables and Ted Roof and, you know, but mainly Brent Venables, where it was third down and eight. It was the second series of the game. can't remember for which team, but uh, uh, both linebackers in the game, it was actually uh, Shane Witter and I think it's Eric, Eric McCoy, the other linebacker. Uh, they were the two linebackers in the game, and they were both up at the line of scrimmage showing blitz, uh, both in the A-gaps, and there were six total players on the line of scrimmage across the board. So there were six guys on the line. And Witter ends up blitzing. McCoy drops into coverage. And Jonah Laulu drops into coverage as well. So still the same amount of guys rush. Four guys rush as, as normal. Just from, from different angles. Reggie Grimes loops around. Comes from the middle. Comes into the A-gap. If it was a real game, he sacks Dylan Gabriel. But he's got to kind of hold off on him because you can't hit the quarterback. And Gabriel has to kind of move over, and he, he dumps the ball off, and Eric McCoy is right there to make the tackle anyway. So I just was encouraged to see in a spring game a creative blitz, a creative blitz that really wasn't a blitz because they dropped the same amount of guys. They just got pressure from a different, you know, different spots that the quarterback would not be looking, you know, looking for on that play. So just a little bit of a taste of it, I think, that we hopefully will see a lot more this fall. Simulated pressure. Brent Venables is a master of it, and you know he was he was good at it when he was originally at OU. I remember uh, I remember a Gerald McCoy interception against Tim Tebow on a simulated pressure snap. Um, but he's he's used it a lot more at Clemson since he's been there. Um, and so it's it's we're we're gonna see a lot of creative type blitzes this upcoming year and and into the future. And I'm I'm excited for that because that's I mean how often did we see under the last regime? It's just hey, just win your one on ones and and that worked a lot of the time. It did. It did, um, but eventually you're going to go up against a team that watches film and is really prepared for everything that you're going to do. Yeah, I just would like the uh, the defensive philosophy moving forward every once in a while to be, you know what, we should at least attempt a, a yeah, maybe a handful of times a game to confuse the quarterback and maybe make the quarterback not really know what's going to be going to be uh, coming from this defensive coverage or the scheme because a lot of the times it was just line up and go play. And, you know, that, that works a lot of the time, but, uh, you know, maybe more turnovers can come from uh, an unsure quarterback that's not really sure where the ball, like where the pressure is coming from or where the coverage is going to be. So uh, just kind of a, a, a Brent Venable staple that we're all looking forward to seeing play out in real time. It's just the guys need to, need to learn the defense as soon as possible. All right, that's all I have on the OU spring game. Not bad. Good stuff. Um, 
Anything else that we have missed as far as the game goes that you want to hit on? Not really. I mean, it was outside of just the bigger crowd. And I mean, it was it was pretty typical spring game fair. Um, what did you think of the one of the things that was fully on display was the tempo? Oh, um, you're right. Good call. We haven't we haven't touched on tempo yet. And here's good like, call. And I feel like, you know, I've given my you know thoughts on tempo a lot already. I, you know, I I like it in spots. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of them doing it all the time like this. Uh, but you know, we'll see. It's it's super super effective if you're just getting chunk yardage after chunk yardage. It's just like when in this game, which happens so often, you get kind of stood up at the line so often, and there's not a lot of space to maneuver in the in the run game. Man, that's when going that fast can get pretty dangerous. Yeah, I, I mostly share your thoughts. Uh, I didn't love it, uh, but mostly it's because I haven't had to deal with this kind of tempo at my job in a long time. And when you're filming each play, it's nice whenever the play ends to be able to, you know, stop recording. I can mark it and stuff. And, you know, I get, I get you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds between the next snap. Well, with this, I, I, I have to – I can't stop it. I have to keep rolling into the next play. And it's just, it's just really inconvenient for me, and that's a problem. No, but, uh, but uh, your, your points are valid. Yeah, whenever they're moving the ball, whenever they're getting chunk yardage, yeah, it works great. And you can build – you can build, you know, RPOs off of the the tempo game. I saw at least one time it seemed like they ran the ball, went up fast, did an RPO, same exact setup, and Braden Willis caught a pass over the middle. So, I mean, you can kind of get easy yardage that way, and I, I know that's – I shouldn't say I know. I'm guessing Jeff Levy's you know, system is based a lot off of that and kind of running simple things and running it well and catching the defense off guard. But, yeah, I, I didn't love it, um, but, I you know, Hopefully it's not going to be a staple to where it's a crutch. And if it's, if it's not working, they're just going to keep doing it and doing it, doing it. And before you know it, uh, they have three, three and outs and they're down 14, nothing. And it's like, okay, they've taken the, the defense has been on the field for the first nine minutes of this quarter. And this is, this is not good. So, I mean, that's, that's always my concern with the up-tempo offense, but it is nice to know that defensively Oklahoma in theory should be better than they have been in the recent past, which makes me not as concerned about a stalling offense as, as much as I was concerned about it in the last handful of years. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's all, it's all about trade-offs, right? So, I mean, we'll see. I, um, I'm telling you, like, I, I do think like if you can get an explosive passing game, I love tempo, uh, just because I, I mean, in the game as soon as possible and tempo plus an explosive passing game, I think it's probably the easiest way to do that. But um, it's like it's right. It's it's that 2008 team, right? It's like they were just so efficient and so good, no matter what, that you might as well go fast. It's like one of those things. Like I mean, if you're a if you're an offense that you know is going to move it efficiently and easily, I kind of feel like you should always go fast. But we're still at kind of that unknown with this offense. We don't know how they're going to gel all together yet. Um, and so right, it's it the tempo at times can feel a little gimmicky. Just trying to think of anything else, kind of going through my notes here. You know, we talked about Jaden Gibson earlier as much, you know, as we wanted to see from him. We did, you know, targeted nine times, only three catches, but it seems like he's a player that, despite him being very young, Jeff Lebby is going to try to get him involved. Uh, one he of the players the that you're really that, uh, Gabriel hit him oh, right yeah. in the hands on. That was maybe Gabriel's best throw of the day, too. That was a good throw. Uh, one of the players that you're really excited for to see what he turns out to be is Caden Helms, and I kind of wanted to see more from him. He wasn't really featured much. Uh, the two tight ends they mainly featured were Willis and Parker, the transfer. 
Which, you know, I mean, those are going to be the guys that we see a vast majority of this year. I, you know, injuries notwithstanding, maybe, maybe Llewellyn and blocking formations. I was a little, um, I mean, I was surprised by how much they were willing to throw the ball to Daniel Parker Jr. Um, Know anything about him at Missouri? He was kind of a one trick pony. He's just a blocker for the most part. He's kind of an Aaron Ripkowski type. Um, so, I don't know, well, he could be a guy that, that's that that's perfect for getting those yards the defense is giving you because they're not going to be expecting him to catch passes. Like, yeah, you're right. Going to play off this you're guy. Right. Boom! Here's five yards. Yeah, maybe See, I'll be I'm, I was a huge yeah, and like I mean, going back to that, I love the little two and three yard hitches into the slot. If 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 they're giving you a ton of space, hit that all day long. I think I, I can't remember if Jeff Lebby has said this or maybe people that have talked about Jeff Lebby's offense in the past have said this, but I think stuff like that in the side to side, it's it's kind of like an extension of your running game, right? The little quick short passes. It's almost like a way to it, you're not running the ball, but you're taking the yards that are there. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm yeah, making and that all up. the all the the wide receiver screens and stuff, too. Um, those are great if your receivers can block and they're and they're really good with the ball in their hands. Um, but I, you know, we'll see on those. That's one of those things where it's just like, I, I think those should, should kind of only be a staple of your offense if you have like unreal skill guys, but we'll see. I don't know. I, I'm kind of the East and West stuff. I'm not a, not always the biggest fan of with, you know, with that, it, like, especially if you don't have CD lamb blocking for you on the edge, which he was such a weapon. And I like, you know how much, like, like once CD graduated, like Riley kind of scrapped a lot of his like screen type stuff to the edge. Like we didn't see that drag route, you know, as much is because I don't yeah. think he trusted guys out there to block. Yeah, perhaps. So, uh, I mean, everything's been so positive. We've talked about that a bunch, but now we actually have a spring game under our belts. We got to see them play extended snaps. There are some things that we can be kind of critical about and we can talk about as the, the offseason gets here. I mean, just off the top of my head, and this is not that surprising considering Lincoln Riley is gone, but, I mean, the offense is, you know, we expect it to be good, but there's going to be lulls. I mean, just in the spring game, looking at yards per play, and I can't do this math off the top of my head because it's broken down into two different teams, but uh, one team averaged 6.7 yards per play, and another team averaged only 3.6 yards per play. So you average that together, that's probably under five, you know, that's under six yards per play for the game. And that's with Dylan Gabriel playing a lot of snaps. So it's a practice. I get that. But I mean, in a scrimmage, I think my preference is for the offense to make some plays, but for the defense to primarily win out. That would be my preference. Right. Right, yeah. And that's the thing is like defensively, I think there's things to be encouraged about. I think there really is. Uh, it, but we all kind of knew that because of Brent Venables. All right, before we get going, I think it's just because you and I have watched a little bit of this, and it, it happened over the weekend. We talked about it a little bit. But USC had its spring game, and as much as you know, people were excited about Oklahoma getting 75,000-plus, and it's easy to compare and contrast that to USC, who got around, I think, 33,000 is what was reported there which is obviously, you look at the pictures, and it didn't look very full at all there at the Coliseum. Uh, I looked in, I mean, that was a spring game record crowd for USC. So I know it wasn't that many people, but it's the most people that's ever gone to a spring game at USC. So as much as Oklahoma fans want to make fun of it, uh, 
Lincoln Riley did get a record crowd at his first spring game, and as much as we want to bag on Lincoln Riley, he did a really nice job of getting people out to spring games at OU. Uh, and in a way, it took him to leave, but he kind of indirectly was responsible for, uh, partly responsible for Oklahoma breaking, <laughs> breaking the spring game attendance record on Saturday. Because you throw in Baker, you throw in Brent, but also a big reason why all this happened is because people want to kind of score Lincoln Riley. Well, He's hey, gone. By, by that logic, Lincoln Riley is going to be responsible for number eight when it comes to. So that's that's pretty sweet. I like your logic there, I guess. Yeah. It is. But uh, so I, I think you said you watched the first couple of series of the USC spring game. That's about what I watched as well. I, watched I just kind of ended up watching more. I watched the first half. It's um, honestly, I, you know, I don't have a lot of thoughts. Caleb Williams looks really great. Um, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know what else to take from it other than it's just it's kind of fun to watch all of like the, you know, the slanting and the stunting and the defensive line, like the Alex Grinchisms and all of that from you know from another angle is is interesting a lot of i mean defensive backs are giving the receivers a lot of space yeah it was it was very unique watching it i mean after watching lincoln riley for all those years with ou gear and then seeing him at usc and then i mean, obviously just the one year of caleb williams but seeing him at a different team uh, and how much espn hyped it up i mean they were and it makes sense espn's in la they're they're making you know they want usc to be good broadcasting it and so it they they weren't really doing much to try to try to shy away from the Coliseum looking very empty. Uh, there was the very first interview of the game before it kicked off. Uh, Riley had a one on one with uh, I think it was Molly McGrath who was there, and they they could have probably angled this different, but they angled it to where the background was the end zone parts, and there wasn't one person in any of the seats. So it was just like it was a great. I took a picture of it because I thought it was funny. It's like. The Lincoln Riley era starting with nobody in the crowd based off of this photo. And they could have had Riley move over and shot a different way to actually look like there was a lot of people there. Because, I mean, there was 33,000 there, you know, according to the reports. Uh, but it was very unique. And, yes, Caleb Williams, what I saw, he looked really good. And I'll say this. I, I liked Lincoln Riley's offense and USC's offense a lot more than I liked Oklahoma's offense in its spring game on Saturday. <laughs> I think I like that Lincoln Riley offense was moving pretty well, but... That's also because they have Caleb Williams, who knows the offense very well. Beautiful weather there. And as you texted me uh, yesterday, Oklahoma, or Oklahoma, USC just might have a really bad defense. So it was really easy for them. And that's possible. Uh, and I hope that's true. <laughs> I, I kind of hope that defense just isn't bad, as much as I like Alex Grinch. He's a good dude. But yeah, yeah I, I just, you're right. Um, I don't have any takeaways. No, I was, I was pretty interested to watch that, that spring game. But you know, when, when I had it on and I was watching it, uh, compared to you know OU's thing, which was which was an event, like actually being there. I mean it, it felt like an OU game day when you were in the stadium. Um, I just watching USC on TV, it just looked like a generic spring game. You know, and, and I like I'm actually, I was like when I was watching it, I was in my head, I was thinking nothing notable is happening here. Actually, this is very, this will come and go, and no one will ever remember it. Just like most spring games. Yeah, I, I'm going to get this wrong. So I, I, I could have swore I saw some quotes from Lincoln Riley afterwards, similar to like, hey, you know, this is a really exciting day. I just it, I, I can't not look look ahead to what what's going to happen in the fall. And it's just it just kind of comes across as classic Lincoln Riley. It's like, yeah, of course, you're going to say these positive things. But what do you what do you mean this this the feelings of today 
and then thinking towards the fall, like the the stadium was barely a quarter full. So like how much of today can you can you compare to what you hope it looks like in the fall? Whereas if Brent Venables said something like that after Saturday, it would actually have some validity because the stadium was basically full. So it just kind of came off to me as Lincoln Riley just saying positive things, sunshine and rainbows, which is what he always does. Whatever, you know, whatever the fan base wants to hear. And it just it, it really puts into perspective again and again and again the stark contrast between him and so far what we've gotten from Brent Venables, which is just straight up transparency uh, from the heart. And everything he said has has come to fruition. I mean, when he says it, he means it. Uh, you know, it's he's been here for four months, five months, and uh, hasn't played a game yet. But it's just it's a very nice contrast, and we'll see if that continues past year one, past year two with Brent Venables. Something tells me he's authentic. That's who he is. That's who we're gonna get, and we know what Lincoln Riley is. He's authentic as well in his own way like that that's you kind of know what you're gonna get from him so uh i don't know he's authentic in his inauthenticity Mm. yes because yes Yes. authentic is definitely not the word i would use to describe lincoln riley that's that's not a that's not a word i would have used to describe him three or four years ago yeah you're right words do mean things and i suppose i did not use that word correctly because right, well, an authentic person, right? You think that they're putting like their actual true self into the public eye, and I just I that's I don't think that's what Lincoln Riley does. <laughs> <laughs> but also, who cares? Who cares? I like I'm I'm at that like I'm, you know I. Very interested to see how USC does under his leadership, but like. At this stage, the the spring game, like what actually happened on this past Saturday in the spring game, I think is just is completely unremarkable. Is just it's, I think it's uh it's it's only kind of like a big thing now, just because just in the context of what happened at the end of November. But I mean, yeah, like you actually go and watch their spring game. It was it was just a typical spring game. It's just like if you would have turned on like Auburn spring game or something. It's generic. It was, you know, boring. Nothing much happened. A lot of stuff happened at the OU one. Just not a lot of it had to do with football on the field. And that was cool. That was great. Okay, last thing. I did find one of the quotes from Riley that I had read earlier or before the podcast that stood out to me that I just kind of thought was like, okay, that's it's just kind of chuckled. After the spring game, he said, quote, if you're in this city and you don't feel the momentum around this program – you're not paying attention, end quote. And my, my thought was, well, well, a lot of people aren't paying attention, Lincoln. That's kind of the point. <laughs> That's like USC football is kind of down right now, and there's a lot of stuff going on in, in L.A. So, yeah, there's a lot of people in your city that aren't <laughs> – that don't feel the momentum of the program, I would bet, because I, there's a lot of other things happening in L.A., and they're just not into college football as much as they are in Norman, Oklahoma. <laughs> so I just kind of thought that was a funny quote from Lincoln Riley. I mean, there's going to be. I mean, he's going to have he's going to have sound bites like that his entire tenure there. Um, but we'll see. I mean, like that. I mean that that city will will care about USC if like if they start winning the Pac-12 every year and they start going to the playoff every year. I mean, that is that's that what that's what has to happen for him. All right, we'll have plenty of time to talk about it and go over it now that we've uh, we've reached. 
post-spring ball. Uh, I don't know what our schedule is going to be moving forward. Uh, we kind of covered quite a bit more today than I thought we would. So uh, we might – and you're going to be kind of busy next week. And so uh, next week I think we're going to take off. So keep, uh, keep in tune to the West of Everest Facebook page. You all can obviously send your, your thoughts, your takes, your questions, anything that you have for us on the West of Everest Facebook page. Uh, leave, uh, leave any comments there. We'll get back to you the best we can. And as the offseason progresses, I guess we'll kind of figure out what our plan is for the show because uh, we're going to a dead period, Grant. And that's it's always kind of good to recharge our batteries, but also it's difficult to find content <laughs> a lot of the time. Very I guess true. we have the NFL draft, though. So Oh, we got the drafts. Be- we might have to – I don't know. I, I would do a, I'd do a draft show. I, think, I mean, I think OU is going to have a lot of guys drafted in terms of, like, raw number in all likelihood. Yeah. Um, not really going to be any high round draft picks, but I mean, I, we may need to do a show on the best, on the best primetime television program of the entire year, which is the NFL draft. So true. We might have to do that. Well, stay tuned, stay tuned to the West of Everest Facebook page. Make sure you give it a like, have all the, uh, the latest updates. And I also there. think, I also think we're almost certainly going to see a lot of movement in the portal over the next week or so. Uh, so stay tuned. I mean, if there's if if there's a lot of movement in the portal, maybe we we could get together and talk about it too. Because I mean, if there's if there's roster turnover, I want to talk about it. All right. Again, for the eleventh time on the podcast, stay tuned to the West of Everest Facebook page. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.